You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. This week, we look forward to a new year of sharing the grace and love that God has given to us in Christ. I can first thank everyone who came out this morning and uh, helped with unearthing and taking the snow away so we all can get here this morning. I greatly appreciate their help. Um, Also appreciate all the hard work um, that was put into last week's service. Um, Was not being um, able to be here, which was a bummer um, because I really love looking back and seeing all that God has done through you guys um, for his kingdom's sake. Um, And I, I truly enjoy that service. Uh, we are continue to tweak and, and work on um, that service because it's, as Marty, I think, mentioned, it's like when you look at the 52 members that we have at our church and then the many other that join us, especially when college is in session, and those that are um, passing through or here for a short period of time, um, God does a lot through our faith family. And um, it's a lot to try to encapsulate within a 40 or 50 or 60 minute service, but we will continue to refine and try to keep that um, going because I think it's a a really good um, time of reflection to remember all that God has um, done for us. So today what we're going to do is we're going to kind of look forward a little bit. Um, Each year uh, we look back and then we look forward. Um, I usually start in October and asking God, what, what do you want me to say to um, our congregation? Uh, if you remember last year, we had um, a simple saying that God brought to you guys, and it was consider your ways. Um, so as you look at 2023, will you consider your ways? And today, um, I thought that this was for Joe. Like, I, I, I stumbled on um, just a little uh, a, a saying about what, we, what I'm going to show you and unpack a little bit called the Jonah Syndrome. And I'm, I was like, okay, that's, that's for Joe Soika. So I've been looking at the book of Jonah for the last um, three months since like October is usually when I start praying about, okay, where are we going? And then I get um, um, Tim and Sam, they're praying. And um, last, uh, our last elder meeting in December, um, we were praying, okay, what do we want to look forward to for 20 24. I got it right that time. And, uh, and, and I, again, I was thinking Jonah was just for Joe, right? Sometimes you, you know, those of you that teach, even if you teach children, sometimes you come across something, you're like, oh, it's in the lesson, but you didn't realize, oh, no, that's for you. And it was interesting enough that I got released to go ahead and talk about this today uh, through the elders, through Tim and, and Sam, both saying something that absolutely says that I need to bring this message um, for us today as well. We will be looking at the whole book of Jonah. We're not going to be doing line for line. We're not going to be here for two or three hours for sure. Um, But I want to do a little bit of work before we get there just to kind of explain some things. Uh, It's it's a good, uh, I realized as I was watching the service last Sunday that maybe there's a lot of things that are put together, nice, neat, packaged well, look great, in line with the Bible, inside of Joe's head, but they often don't get out to you guys in such a way that you're completely on board and understanding how all these different pieces put together. So I'm going to work on that in 2024 in many different ways of doing that. So um, today I want to put some pieces together. I want to talk about Jonah and the Jonah Syndrome, and then just leave you with the challenge as we take communion, um, if whether or not you need to repent whether or not you're, you're saying, hey, I'm doing good, but Lord, continue, keep me doing well in this area of my life. Um, and so therefore, we can grow the kingdom together. So let me pray, and I'll dive in. Father, we just thank you so much for today. Lord, I ask for you to have my voice hold out, Lord, that I don't get coughing, Lord. Um, but I ask for your grace from those that are here if that happens Lord, there may be visitors here today, Lord, that's like we're stepping into um, just not a, a regular message, Lord. I just pray that um, if they're just passing through, if they're just visiting, or, or maybe you've, you've called them here to check out Mountain City Church, whatever it is, Lord, I just pray that you would speak to their hearts, change them where they're at, and may they leave here a little bit more like Christ than when they came in. Father, I pray that you would um, help me to convey um, my heart, the 
um, what you have shown me. Um, Lord, it's, I, I pray that it's your heart. Um, I pray that I am, I'm close enough to your will, Lord, um, that people will see that and jump in for 2024 and beyond. And, uh, Lord, that we can do this amazing work that you've called us to do together. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in October of 2018, uh, the congregation voted to move me from one position to another. I was serving as a full-time community pastor, and our current lead pastor left. He went back home to Alabama, was called back there, and and they felt that, well, we have a pastor on staff, so... um, Let's call him to the lead pastor position. I was like, are, are you sure about that? Um, and so that happened. It, it, you guys voted me in. Um, the first thing that was left uh, as of a nine-year revitalization project was to change the name. So, hey, you're, you're now a new lead pastor. The first thing you get to do is lead a congregation through changing a name. Wonderful. But it was good. It was, I made a lot of mistakes. I had a lot of people in the congregation come and, and put their arm around me and love on me. And, and we got through the name change. So good. We got a new name change. We're moving forward with the final piece of revitalization. And what happens? COVID. COVID happens. So we go through a pandemic together. It was amazing. Not that the pandemic was amazing. Don't hear that. It was amazing how our congregation, we didn't fight, we didn't quarrel, we didn't point fingers at one another, even through all the riots and all the different political things. See, whenever you keep the main thing as Jesus Christ, then all those things go to the side. We didn't argue about masks, whether or not to do it. We decided as a, a um, as your elder lead team, we decided whatever the governor says is what we're going to do. And whatever he allows us to do, we're going to do. So when we were allowed to to meet with all the different things, we did that. And believe it or not, because of our church not being program-driven, nothing shut down. Everything was still going. We were still loving on one another. We were still helping each other become disciples. And we grew through the pandemic. I know oftentimes I've been in some different things with the state convention and different... um, uh, churches and talking with them and, and they're and they're just talking about how ravished their churches have been because of COVID because it shut down all their programs and then once the programs got shut down everyone got out of the habit of being in a program and and it's not more about making disciples and then they're like oh you know two thirds of our church is gone a third of our church is gone and I'm sitting there like how do I say this how do I humbly say oh we grew over COVID God sent people to us during COVID. But managed to get through that through much grace of God and and all of you that there was no quarreling. It's like, okay, this is the game plan. We're working the game plan. Let's continue. Let's love one another and care for one another during that time. But one thing that I did bring into the position was an allergic reaction to the corporate model of church. Um, I just, I, I was trained um, when I came here in 2015, um, did a lot of training with the, with the previous pastor, a lot of training with the state, um, NAM training, because this is kind of the model that they want all their church planners to look into, is this corporate idea, this corporate model of church where there's a CEO and then everyone's working, you build lead teams and, and, and all of this. And, and over time, I don't know, just God just gave me an uneasiness with that whole model and Probably part because of my mentor, who Randy Millwood, who has since retired and gone to Louisiana to be um, around his family. Um, he wrote a book about what the church should be, how the church should be the bride of Christ, that we should act like a family, that there's not so much room for this corporate person called the lead pastor, but there is a, a lead pastor. His name's Jesus Christ. We're just under shepherds who are trying to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So I I brought that into this new role, this new position of of lead pastor here at Mountain City Church. And I knew that I did not want to create a corporate model of church. I wanted to do something that was even more scarier, like turning it over to you guys. 
to where I don't know everything that's happening. The elders don't know everything that's happened. That we've given you some guide rails to run in, and you guys run in those guide rails. And then we are all helping one another to do God's work, to make much of God, and to make disciples of Jesus. The interesting thing, and I probably got to pick up the pace because that was just page one. Um, I'm good at the corporate model. Like, when I managed at uh, Domino's in Florida, I was managing three stores. I was up for manage, national manager of the year. I'm good at that. And God was like, no, nah, you're not just like, I'm pretty good with numbers, not words. And so God says, well, we're going to get rid of the corporate idea and we're going to get rid of the numbers for you. And you're going to have to walk in what I want you to walk in. And so here we are today. The corporate model way of doing things just does not seem to line up with what Jesus design the church to be. I don't believe. Maybe I'm wrong. I think there's a both and. I do believe a church is an organized organism. There can't be chaos because God says there can't be chaos. That's what Corinthians and the tongues and all that's about, right? Is that there can't be chaos within the congregation. It has to be lined up. There has to be an organized organism. But if we kill the organism, by the way, who is led by the Holy Spirit... Not by some CEO who's saying you're going to do this and you're going to do that and you're going to do this. No, no, no. If you do that, you take away the Holy Spirit. See, because then you put people in place that are good at certain things and then all they do is walk in their flesh. And what I spend my time trying to do is find out what you're okay with and you're sort of comfortable with and then push you so that you have to do something in the power of the Spirit. Because that's how you grow. And by the way, that's the idea of an organic model of the church. The end goal is not for what Joe wants to accomplish. The end goal is for you to change. Because it seems to me that that's God's lining up. We're trying to line up with what God wants for you. He wants you to change. He wants you to be sanctified. He wants you to be more like him. He wants you to get rid of sin in your life so that you can walk by the Spirit and you have a flourishing life because that's the only way we're going to do it. Money doesn't get it. Power doesn't get it. Success doesn't get it. The only thing that gives us a flourishing life is if we walk by the Spirit and we get rid of the deeds of the flesh. So that's what organic church is trying to accomplish. That's what we're trying to accomplish. And the only way that we do this is not by a system. I'm good at systems too, but we have systems in place. I mean, this is just the way I'm trying to share the way my brain thinks a little bit. But the only way this is going to happen is through culture. And what we're trying to do, what we've done over the last five years, is try to create a culture of care. Are you cared for when you walk through the door at Mountain City Church, whether or not it's your first time or your thousandth time? Do people care for you genuinely? And the only way that people will genuinely care for you is if they know the love of the Father for them. That's the only way that our hearts, living in this fallen world, still dealing with the flesh, that's the only way that we are going to be transformed to people who love one another in that way. So that's what we've been working on for the last five years. Creating a culture of care. Where we care for one another, we speak truth to one another where we love one another. And an interesting thing, another thing that kind of pushes back against that is our area, for whatever reason, they love that corporate idea of church. They want a pastor that they can follow, that they put up there, and that, that, yeah, we do everything for him. No, you do nothing for man. You do everything for God. But it seems like when you look at some of the churches around us, the ones that I've been, you know, been able to to step into and and know the pastors and this, that, and the other, it's like they have this idea that this we just need this pastor to do all this stuff. It's like, no, he's just... He's there to help you do what God has called you to do. So it's kind of counterintuitive to to our area. I know it's definitely counterintuitive to the churches that I kind of grew up in the faith in in this area. They want that CEO, corporate guy, to tell them what to do next. Almost to like have his thumb on them. And then their interesting thing was, is what happened over the last five years, is some of our people, whenever that thumb was released... They didn't know what to do. They wandered off, and they're still wandering. 
They're half bought into the church and, and they're just not sure. They're kind of getting their grounds. What does it look like? Kind of like a toddler, right? A toddler can run around with you all day long if you're holding his hand and then you let go of their hand and they're like, oh, what am I supposed to do? Let me find something, a couch or something to walk in. So we've kind of let go of that. And we're trying to create a culture of care, a culture where we love one another and then what we want to do and what we want to focus on in 2494 is to take that culture and then release it out. Is to turn it out. It's already starting to happen. It already happens naturally. When you love somebody and you talk with that person and you read your Bible and you spend time with them, it is naturally just going to ooze out of you when you bump into people. And I know that happens. I know that happens all the time within those that come to Mountain City, call their this place, their home, and have covenanted with one another as members or being loved by one another. So, what the difference is, I explain it this way. It's, it's going to hit some of you, and some of you, it's like, I've never seen this movie. I have no idea what you're talking about. But I call it the difference between Cobra Kai Dojo and Mr. Miyagi. Okay, so those of you that have watched The Karate Kid, you understand this. Cobra Kai Dojo was all about the man. The man was in charge. The man made everybody do and, and, and follow the line. And you stepped in line for one reason and one reason only, and that's because you feared the man that was at top. Right? Mr. Miyagi didn't do it that way. Mr. Miyagi said, sand the floor, paint the fence, paint the house, wax the car. And at the end of the day, you change as we do these things. And that's the goal. And that's how I look at everything. So it's, it's much easier for me to come up here and say, do this, do this, and do this, and do this. But it's a little harder, takes a little bit more time, takes a little bit more effort to step back and say, okay, what are the three things that they need to do so that they will form habits, their hearts will change, and then they will start doing these things. How people change is a wonderful tool that shows us this. Those that have been through this have kind of seen parts of it. They are, okay, I've put this together. Now I see what's going on. Yes. As we do all these things, we are being changed into the image of Christ. We are being changed of how we live. We are being changed of what our desires are. And that's what we try to do. And again, and I know I've said this, but the bottom line is simple. The, the corporate model of church is whatever the people in charge is will be done. And the other model of church that we try to enthusiastically promote is change for you. Change for you to be sanctified. As you change, you lay down my will be done and start living for his will to be done. Again, it's a culture. It's a culture of care. So as we turn to 2024, we want to focus on two areas. I'm not going to lay out how we're going to specifically do it. There might be a tiny bit in here. But there's two areas of focus that the elders have, have prayed about and come in uh, to agreement with. And the first area is prayer. We want prayer to be the strategy. Not something we do to ask God to bless what we're doing. In other words, that whenever we look at stuff, see, that's another reason why I can't just stand up here and say, we're going to do this, 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 and this, because probably haven't spent adequate enough time praying to God to see what he wants to do in 2024. And, and he usually, if most of you know, who have walked for, with God more than like two seconds, he usually doesn't give us the plan for the year, does he? In fact, he usually doesn't give us the plan past maybe tomorrow, and sometimes he doesn't even give us the plan for today. So we've got to be in consistent Prayer, right? Consistent prayer. And the second part, and you heard that a little bit in, in Tim's prayer in a passage that we chose um, for him to pray through, is that we want to take this love that we have for one another and we want to turn it outward through evangelism, evangelism and mission mobilization. And that'll look, in many ways, it, that'll look... That'll have many different facets to it. Again, I'm not here to lay out a plan because now we've got to do the work in praying and seeking God and, and 
and praying with you guys and seeing what God is doing and go and work with him where he is doing. Again, prayer is one of those things that is more caught than taught. Like, I can't teach you specifically how to pray. I can give you some guidelines. I would encourage you to use the word. But if you can talk to the person that's sitting next to you right now, then you can pray. Because that's what prayer is. You are talking to your Lord and Savior. Talking to him all the time, I hope. One of the equipping components, and I forgot to bring it out, forgive me, um, that I, we want to try to deploy for our D groups is in the, in the realm of prayer is called a book called A Praying Life. Um, it's an excellent book to go through, especially in a group. We have group questions to go through it, and I think it really sets up and gives you the focus of having a praying life. Um, Again, we will continue to create opportunities to pray for and with each other in 2024. As far as evangelism and mission mobilization, this work has already begun with the names in the fish tank. Right? The, the, the culture that's been being trying to be created over the last five years, we asked you to, hey, as you have gospel conversations with people, when you bump into people and, and, or if there's someone that you know that, that needs the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as to be their Savior, then would you come in and write their name and throw it in this tank? And so in this tank are names of loved ones, friends, co-workers, people in our neighborhoods that need to be saved. So we pray over that tank because it all begins with prayer. But it also requires us to proclaim the gospel. It also requires us to proclaim the gospel. So I thought just to give a number, and we don't give many numbers, I don't think I've ever done this, but wouldn't it be cool if we could, when we look back at 2024, if we could say 10 names from that tank switched tanks. What do you mean by switched tanks? Well, they went from that tank to that tank. Because that means that they're professing their, their, their salvation. They're professing that Jesus is Lord. So wouldn't it be cool to take 10 people, 10 names, living souls that will live forever. And, and if God doesn't save them, or if we don't give them the gospel, if we don't continue to be in relationship with them, that means their eternity is hell. Why don't we take 10 names for 2024 and try to move tanks and see if we can get them in this tank so they, as they profess their salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. That would be phenomenal. That would be wonderful. And that can happen. God does bigger things than that. That's, that's just him breathing out a little bit, and he can make that happen. But it requires us to pray. It requires us to come alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ that might be in relationship with somebody in this tank to help them share the gospel, to love on them, to overcome barriers. Again, we will work on equipping groups that will help us to accomplish that goal. We have some things in place. We already have some things that, that we've tried, that, that they're in place, that we can enact, that we can work with. Uh, Christianity Explored is one thing. That's just a, it's a Bible study to bring in people that don't know anything about the Bible. It's a really good study to do that. We have tools that we use on campus, solarium cards, perspective banners. We have the clothing closet. Every month, people come to our church. You don't even have to go and get them. <laughs> they come here. And you could start a relationship and build a relationship with somebody and, and love them and tell them. Here's the thing. I'm also reading this book, Church in Hard Places, reading it for the third time. Um, and the idea is that, that somehow like those that are coming from the clothing closet might be downtrodden, might have a, have a rough life and, and, and maybe classify them as those that are poorer than others, okay? But the poor people don't need some kind of therapeutic session. They don't need us to put our arms around the back and tell them that they're victims and this, that, and the other. What they need is the gospel. They need to be told that Jesus, is, God is holy, that, that they have sinned against him. That's their responsibility. But there is a way out, and his name is Jesus. They need to hear the gospel straight up because that's what saves. So we have that. We have a really good relationship with the housing authority. So there's 100 units with about 250, 300 people that we have open access to, to go and love on and to teach them the gospel. 
Potter's Place um, has been doing a meal every Sunday down there. And, and then he was like, hey, I want to start a Bible study. It's pretty well attended down there. Amen. We'll come alongside them. We'll help them. There's 300 people down there. We, we can't put 300 people in here. So it's all about the kingdom. It's all about the kingdom. We want to equip so that you can be mobilized to build God's kingdom. We want to eliminate barriers that may prevent you from accomplishing God's will. Our passage today helps us to break down the first barrier, and that is what resides in our hearts. It's going to be talking about your heart today. Anything new for me? We'll be talking about your heart today. And we find this in the story of Jonah. It's a familiar to most of us, and it's usually all about the fish. In fact, I said something about Jonah today, and someone at breakfast is like, oh, it's about the fish. I was like, no, it's not about the fish. It's not about the fish. It's not the main point of the story. It's not about the fish. The point of the story of Jonah is found in chapter 4 of the book. So if, if you have your Bibles open to Jonah, you can look at chapter 4, verse 2. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made um, haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. There's the point of the book of Jonah. It's about God, right? If, if the point of any book in the Bible isn't about God, then we might have missed the mark just a little bit. This is the point of the book of Jonah, that God is gracious, that he's merciful, that he's slow to anger, he's abounding in steadfast love. And each one of us sitting here today has felt that love, or we would not be in Christ today. We would not be in Christ if we would not felt his love. Obviously, Jonah knew God. Jonah experienced his grace, his mercy, and his love. Jonah's problem in this story is he wanted to be in control of who received God's grace, mercy, and love. He wanted to control that. Let's look at the story. This will not be in-depth. This will be more like a movie trailer as we move through the story so we can get to, to the point we pick up in Jonah 1, 1 through 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, who was a prophet, the son of Amite, um, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil was come up before me. But Jonah rose, this is verse 3, to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So God came to him and said, I have an assignment for you. And he's like, nope, I'm not going that way. I'm going this way. So God told him to go to Cumberland. He turned and he goes to Morgantown. He goes the opposite way. Like, I'm not going to Cumberland. They don't deserve your grace. I know who you are. You're going to give them mercy. You're going to give them love. They don't deserve it. I don't like them. They're a bunch of Gentiles. Forget about it. I'm going to Morgantown. So he gets in the ship. Directly disobeying God, which obviously whenever we disobey God and whether or not he's a God of love or not, he's also a God of wrath because he's a holy and just God. And when he asks us to do something, by the way, we are the ones he created. When he asks us to do something, it's not kind of a suggestion like, oh, Joe, if you get around to this, no, go and do it. So that anger God causes a great wind on the ocean, which tosses the boat all around. The crew were fighting for their lives. They're throwing cargo overboard to lighten the boat so the waves don't crash and bust up the boat. Where was Jonah? He was in the bottom of the boat sleeping. Because we're going to learn that Jonah loves comfort. So God asked him to do something. He didn't like it, so he turned the other way. Now he's sleeping in the bottom of the boat. The boat's tossing a turn, and he's just sleeping. The guys are fearful for their lives, and Jonah don't care. He's running from God in the bottom of the boat. The captain wakes him and says, Arise, call on your God, that we may be saved. I guess it's kind of like foxholes, right? Whenever you're on a boat and there's a the middle of a storm, there are no atheists. Everyone's crying out to their own God, Right? So these men were crying out to their gods. But to be fair, back then, everyone worshipped something, and that's no different than today. You just might not call it a deity, but we all worship something. We're designed to worship something. We're designed to worship him. 
But every single one of us, every day, get up and worship something. So these men were crying out to their gods. The crew cast lots to see why this trouble came upon them, and it falls to Jonah. Jonah's the problem. They asked where he came from, and Jonah answered. This is verse 9 in chapter 1. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Oh, by the way, the God that I worship, he's the one that made everything. So these men are like, wait a minute, you're worshiping the God that made everything, and the sea's tossing about. You're the problem. Which made the crew even more afraid, because apparently when Jonah got on the boat, he told them that he was fleeing the Lord. He was fleeing the Lord. So they scrambled to figure out what to do. Jonah says, throw me overboard. They did, and the sea ceased from its raging. Just a side note that here again we see salvation through judgment. Jonah was being judged, and the men on the boat were being saved. They took Jonah, and they threw him overboard, and then the seas calmed down, and the men were saved. Because God was judging Jonah. Right? The fish wasn't the judgment. The raging sea was the judgment. Verse 16 in chapter 1 says, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So here, a disobedient prophet saves men. Which is going to get into our second point coming up, that you can't thwart God's sovereignty and his will. But we'll get to that here in a minute. God judges Jonah, gets thrown into the sea, and then God's mercy comes to Jonah again, and a large fish swallowed him. While in the fish, Jonah has a change of heart. He cried out to the Lord, recounting all that he just happened, and affirmed his commitment to the Lord. We see in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry ground, dry land. So in the fish's belly, Jonah found grace to repent. His repentance and renewed faith express themselves in the classic words, salvation belongs to the Lord. He saw his error, he turned back to the Lord, he asked for forgiveness, and now the fish spits him back out. God speaks to Jonah again. Jonah 3, 2, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against this message that I tell you. You drop down to verse 4 and 5. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. So the word reached the king, and the whole nation believed and repented. Now, this is a Gentile nation, and you have this prophet, this Jewish prophet coming in and saying, look, um, in 40 days, this place is going to get wiped out unless you repent. That's probably how we feel many times whenever we step in to witnessing in 2024. To our family members, to campus people, to work, to our neighbors. Probably feel like we're... We're coming in and saying God's judgment is coming because, right, it's, it's set for all men to live and to die, to judge, be judged and die, right? That's all men's fate. And we probably feel much like that. And it's amazing God's grace and love came to these people and they didn't just like hang Jonah or send him packing or just laugh at him, but they truly listened and they repented. That's God working in hearts. It's pretty amazing. Everything is good now, right? Jonah obeyed. The people believed and repented. We all rejoice. Not quite. Jonah was actually upset that the people repented. He was upset that they actually turned. Again, Jonah was upset specifically that Gentile people repented and were saved. In fact, he was so upset that he just wanted to die. It says he was angry and he was in his disgust over God's sovereign will. He was upset that God did what he did. That it actually worked. That the people actually listened. That this was God's will. So Jonah goes to a hill outside the city to sit and watch what happens to the city. 
God is not done teaching his prophet yet. He causes a plant to grow, which provides relief from the sun. And then the next day he causes a worm to eat the plant. Which angered Jonah again, disgusted over God's sovereign will. And the Lord has the final word in the book. And there's not much resolution to the story. This is just where it ends. And the Lord said, you pitied the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. That idea from the right to the left, it goes back to the Old Testament saying, you know, you stay on the path. Don't go to the right or go to the left or you'll be away from God's will. Isn't there 120,000 people that need salvation and you're sitting on the hill upset that I saved them? And what God revealed to Jonah is what Heath Lambert calls the Jonah syndrome. And it goes something like this. If you suffer from the Jonah syndrome, you are a person who has received the grace of God, but who is uninterested in sharing that grace with others. That's the Jonah syndrome. You are a person who has received the grace of God, but who is uninterested in sharing that grace with others. See, this is the hard issue. This is what goes on in our hearts. I am not God and I do not know your heart, but as we kick off 2024, I do want you to look into your heart and ask yourself, do I suffer from the Jonah syndrome? Do I suffer from the Jonah syndrome? Because if you are in Christ, if you're here today and you call yourself a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then God's grace has come to you. It has come to you. In fact, just because you're sitting here today, even if you don't know the Lord, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. God's grace is coming to you right now. Because today you will hear how you can be saved. His grace is coming to you. My question to you for 2024 is, what are you doing with the grace that God has given you? What are you doing with the grace that God has given you? Now, you, you might say, push back, and, and that's fine. You can push back. You might say, wait a minute, Joe, you, you, you can't take what happened to an Old Testament prophet and apply it to us in 2024. We are not prophets. I would disagree. You may not be a prophet in the same way Jonah was a prophet, but you have been saved to proclaim God's word. That's why he saved you. So that you can go and share the gospel at the ends of the earth. Let me just give you a few passages. If we are in Christ and we are ambassadors who represent the one who sent us in an ambassador, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. This is what Tim read for us today. The ministry of reconciliation is carried out in the same way Jonah's ministry was carried out by the proclamation of the gospel. Yes, we are to do good things, but doing good things for people do not, does not save people. The only way people can be saved is they have ears to hear the good news that you proclaim about what Jesus has done. His life, his death, his resurrection, and his, right, his ascension to the right hand of the Father, and his coming again. That's what saves people. It's counterintuitive. We think that, that we need to do all... No, you need to proclaim the word. You need to proclaim their true situation, separated from God. You know, you want a good place to look at that? Go to Romans 1. It spells it out really well for us. And then you need to show them the grace of God and proclaim the gospel to them. So yes, we are prophets. We have been saved to proclaim 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. Again, this is what Tim read. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. See, you're part of that. God's working to reconcile the world to himself, and he's called us to be part of that. Wherever you're at. Wherever your work is, wherever life takes you, 
You are part of what God is doing. Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. There's the message. You can be reconciled to God. You are separated from God. You can be reconciled by God through trusting in Christ Jesus. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. And we know just ambassadors just speak for the one who sent us. Jesus is the one who sent us. This is what church is about. This is what we are to be about. We're like, you come in on Sundays, you get rejuvenated, you get challenged to repent so that you can walk by faith and by the Spirit, and then you leave as those being sent on mission to go into the world. And I'm telling you, that life right there is more fulfilling, is more enriching, has more joy than anything this world or you might be living for right now. Guaranteed. It's a promise from God. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Mark 16, 15 says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Which is part of the great commission. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We cannot claim that we do not have the same job as a prophet. What will you do with the grace that has come to you? There are three quick lessons we can take from the Jonah syndrome. First, the Jonah syndrome is fueled by comfort. It is fueled by comfort. The reason why we don't take the grace that's coming to us and take it to others is because we desire more comfort than we do to be on God's mission. Jonah likes comfort. His previous assignment was comfortable. Jonas previously had been employed by the Lord to deliver a message to King Jeroboam II, informing the wicked monarch about the undeserved mercy he had been shown by God. That was a wonderful message. Jonah liked that job. You can find that in 2 Kings 14. But this job that, that God gave him here in, in the book of Jonah is, he didn't like that job. It made him very uncomfortable. In the belly of the, sh- of the ship, Jonah was comfortable sleeping. At the top of the hill, Jonah was comfortable when the plant provided the shade. Telling these miserable Ninevites to repent, no comfort there. He didn't like them. When the plant arrived, Jonah was exceedingly glad. When the plant died and comfort was lost, Jonah wanted to die again. We see that in verse 8. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Jonah was fueled by comfort. The Jonah syndrome is fueled by comfort. What are we comfortable doing? Well, we just want to make it a little bit uncomfortable in 2024. I was watching while I was sick. You know, I was watching a documentary called Sheep Among Wolves. There are several episodes to this and telling the story of the proclamation of the gospel in the Middle East. And it was really resonating, what they were saying. I'm studying Jonah, trying to think of 2024, trying to put all these pieces together. And he told a story, and he challenged the church in the West. He says this, Do you hate Muslims so much that you will not come and give them the only thing that will truly change them? <laughs> let's, let's take a, a couple thousand year old story and make it real right now, Right? Or is it just easier to take a military or political stand? Because the only thing that will change the Middle East is certainly not anything a politician can do. Yeah, maybe uh, something that weapons can do, but not really. The only thing that will change hearts of Muslims is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So do we hate them enough that we won't go? That we won't even go to our neighbor? And one of the men that, who was a Muslim, now a Christian, you know, which, you know, if, if that happens, you are, it's just a matter of days before you die because your family member or someone's going to kill you. 
So this guy, they did a really good job disguising him and all that. He's on the front line and declaring the gospel, said something about the church in the West. Now, usually my radar goes up, right, because we get a bad rap. And sometimes I might even go overboard on giving us a bad rap. Um, forgive me for that. Um, but I believe what, what he was saying is something that we should just kind of maybe at least consider. At least consider it. He said that it's like the church in the West is under some kind of satanic lullaby. He said the whole thing with Jesus is like someone saying, shh, shh, it's okay. Take your therapeutic Jesus. Take your best life now, Jesus. Shh, it's okay. Just be calm. Make it all about you. It's okay. I mean, that kind of resonated with me. I mean, first it resonated with Joe looking in the mirror. Because we made the church so individualistic and it's all about what the person in the pew prefers instead of what God commands, we have been put to sleep in a lullaby. He didn't give us our prosperity and our money so that we can build bigger buildings and do more for us. He did so so that we can go. Because only when we're going that we're actually walking by the Spirit and then we have the life that He's planned for us. But whenever the church rises up a little bit, the church is stirred and Satan comes along and sticks the pacifier back in and it's called Netflix. It's okay. Waste your time doing that. Or social media. Or building my own kingdom. And the church goes back to sleep. Boy, that resonated with me. And maybe that's just Joe. That's hard to hear, but it's kind of really accurate, is it not? The church is supposed to be on the front line pressing into the darkness with good news of the one who brings life. But we are far too busy building our own kingdom. So all Satan has to do is say, shh, shh, calm down. Here's your pacifier. It'll be okay. I don't want to be part of that church anymore. I want to lead people into battle into taking back the ground the enemy has taken in our lives, in the lives of our loved ones, in the lives of those in our community. But that does not happen if we are suffering from the Jonah syndrome and are just looking for comfort. So the Jonah syndrome is fueled by comfort. The Jonah syndrome, secondly, never defeats God's purposes. I know I mentioned this earlier and said I would mention it again. This is real easy to see. Jonah went to the other direction. And we have the storm, the fish, and ultimately Jonah preaching to those God asked him to, in the first place. You're not going to thwart God's purposes. If you're not going to go, if you're not going to do, if you're not going to be, then he'll find somebody else. And, and the sad thing is, is the consequences that we have to live in when he does that. Think of Jonah. He was on a boat that's better to crash. Then he gets swallowed by a fish. But we cannot, we will never defeat the purposes of God. He is sovereign and he's going to fulfill his will, whether we join in or not. I would prefer to join in. I would prefer to do that. God is sovereign and his, his will always happens. The question is, will you step into the blessing of being used by God in 2024? Will you step into that blessing? Because it's truly a blessing to be used by God. The third thing that we learn is the Jonah syndrome is cured by love. It's cured by love. This is what we have been working on for the last five years, as I said earlier. We have been trying to cultivate a culture of care. If we first learn to biblically love our brothers and sisters, well, then there's a good chance that it overflows into our families, our workplaces, in our communities. Again, this is what we've been working on. And we'll continue to work on it. And the thing is, is, is that kind of love is only comes about in our hearts if we truly see what we've been saved from, if we truly see who God is, if we taste and see the Lord is good, because he is good. 
Love God, love people, make disciples. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. He has poured His love out on us through His Son. This is where our love comes from. Romans 5.8, But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says, Had this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Do you think that was comfortable for Jesus? But he did that to save me, and he did that to save you. Is there any greater love ever been shown in the history of the world than that? But until we see that love, we're not going to love one another, and it's really hard to love the world. Grace has come to you. What will you do with it in 2024? Do we have the Jonah syndrome? Do you tend to slip into the Jonah syndrome sometimes? I mean, it's obviously, it's not purely there. Like I say, I don't know your heart, and, and, and I didn't want to be like a, a blanket statement because people are talking to people. We have names and fish things. We see the people. Again, the only cure for the Jonah syndrome is to taste and see that the Lord is good and allow all that he has done to motivate us to go and love others. So in 2024, we want to focus on prayer. We want to focus on turning you guys loose to the world around us. That's our desire. That's what we're asking the Lord to do. So as we go to a time of communion, you just need to honestly ask, what are you doing with the grace that has come to you. What are you doing with the grace that has come to you? Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.